If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number one of the weekly world according to zig podcast my name is john ziggler i am the host of this program where we talk about the news of the week and the events of my often bizarre life and where we provide you with a full two-hour oasis of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit which is the american media cultural and political landscape basically in the era of trump this is a show done from the conservative perspective that's not controlled as state-run media, which is effectively what almost all of the conservative media industrial complex has become, whether it's Fox News Channel, The Drudge Report, Breitbart.com, almost all of talk radio, and a lot of what you read on so-called conservative uh, sites on the Internet. There has been still some conservative resistance, but effectively almost all of the major sources of quote-unquote conservative news are state-run. Someone on Twitter this week, I wish I could remember to whom to give the credit, said that to get a primetime show on Fox News Channel really ought to require Senate confirmation at this point. You really ought to have to be confirmed by the Senate. You're that much a part of the Trump administration that you really ought to have to go through committee hearings, have a vote, and be fully approved by the United States Senate in order to host a primetime show on Fox News Channel. That's not the case here. Uh, My view of Trump is pretty well known for anyone who has ever heard of me, which is uh, I do not believe that he's qualified to be president. I do not believe that he is conservative. I think he'll do some really good things, but that we're going to pay an enormous price, especially in the long run, for whatever good he ends up doing. And let's just hope that it's not disastrous. Let's hope it's something that we can endure and recover from. You know, he, he tends to be very, very lucky. That's how he became president. So, so maybe just maybe we can get through all this with the Trump magic with me. It's just works, you know, it's magic. So basically we're hoping for magic at this point, which for people who like me, believe in truth and facts and logic, it's really difficult to put all your hopes on on magic. 
but that's effectively where we are. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And if you go there, you can check out uh, all of the columns that I wrote this week, uh, four of which were for Mediate. I will discuss details uh, uh, revolving around all of them uh, during this hour of the program. Uh, One was an article that I wrote for a uh, website out of Philadelphia called Big Trial, where I compared the Philadelphia Catholic Church scandal that was falling apart, which we discussed on this podcast a couple weeks ago, and the so-called Penn State scandal, which I have investigated for over five years. By the way, for those uh, who have wondered about this, you know, before uh, Christmas, I went on the Glenn Beck radio and television show, and he indicated that he wanted to revisit the Penn State case because he had not been aware fully of my investigation into it and some of his co-hosts who had had me on on a different show and I think became convinced that I was right, urged him to take a look at this. And he said on the air uh, that he wanted to have me back on in the new year. Now, obviously, it's all Trump all the time at this point. And so I was not expecting anything to happen anytime soon, but I was contacted by Glenn Beck's people this week. And it looks like we're going to try to do something potentially something pretty significant uh, in March. So just so people are aware, that has not been completely forgotten. And it appears, although you never know, especially in the news media, until something actually occurs that it's really going to, it appears as if Glenn Beck is going to keep his word on that. Uh, John Ziegler, I I think he's fantastic. What what an interesting mind he has. Also at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com is an article about last week's podcast. Uh, We did an interview in hour number two with Democratic Congressman John Yarmuth, and I thought it was a fascinating discussion. Now, I realize we're living in a a soundbite universe, uh, 15-second attention spans, but I would venture to guess that there has been no better conversation between a conservative and a liberal about the Trump presidency than the hour actually a little bit over an hour, interview we did on last week's podcast, an hour number two with Congressman John Yarmouth. You can read about cast itself, again, at freespeechbroadcasting.com. This week's interview is equally interesting, but from a slightly different perspective. In hour number two, we interview the former director of the CIA, General Michael Hayden, who, by the way, wasn't just the director of the CIA, He had all sorts of very important jobs within the intelligence community, including the director of the National Security Agency. And he has been very much outspoken regarding his concerns about Donald Trump, and he reiterated and expanded on many of those in hour number two. The headline of that interview is that General Michael Hayden says that we are less safe today on Sunday than we were on Friday because of the executive order being referred to as the Muslim ban signed by President Donald Trump, even though it really only bans immigration from seven countries that are mostly Muslim. And even then, it's kind of clouded as to what it really means. It appears as if green card holders may not be included in that now. Frankly, it didn't seem as if it was ready to go. A judge over, over or 
or order to stay, which uh, has has slowed the implementation of the executive order. But wow, um, there were a whole bunch of protests yesterday, specifically in New York City at airports. Uh, it was amazing how fast that whole thing happened. Boy, that escalated quickly. And uh, we will talk about that as well. But check out freespeechbroadcasting.com for the Yarmouth interview. And in hour number two, you absolutely have to listen to the interview with General Michael Hayden. The other columns I wrote at Media, just to give you kind of a of a sense of what this week was like uh, based upon my opinions and what I was curious about, I, I wrote a column about the drought, not just here in California, but nationwide and the issue of climate change slash global warming and how the news media only looks at this in one direction. Droughts are caused by global warming, climate change, but when they end, that says nothing about climate change, global warming, which makes no damn sense to me at all. By the way, I I urge you to check out that column at freespeechbroadcasting.com because it's a perspective that almost nobody else in the news media provides. And I I think I'm right about it, at least using basic logic. But after I wrote that column, it became official. And this is really, I think, an important stat. I realize people's eyes glaze over when they hear statistics, but this one's pretty simple and pretty dramatic. You'll never hear the news media talk about it. Here we are. What are we? Decades now into global warming? Now, you would think global warming, climate change, you would think that there's one area over the long term that would be most impacted by global warming. It would be drought, right? I mean, when it's hot, it's drier, right? So over time, since we've been told, we were told in Florida 10 years ago or Texas five years ago, California the last several years, drought is caused or exacerbated by climate change, global warming. Okay? Well, guess what? As of this week, the official, not some kook right-wing website, the official drought tracker for the United States of America, and I realize the United States of America is a significant but small portion of the overall globe, but I think you can get a pretty good sense of the way things are. And frankly, hey, we're, we're in an America first era now, so all that matters is America. So... You know, in the in the Trump era, why why should we give a hell a damn about anybody else? So the reality is, if you look at the drought tracker for the United States of America, officially updated, I think it's Wednesday or Thursday of this week, for the first time in the history of the tracking, as far as I can tell. Now they changed the way the tracking is done, so that's a little bit deceiving. But there are more categories now of drought. There's like five different categories. It's like DEFCON 1 to DEFCON 5, right? So up until the last few weeks, much of California was in the 4 or 5 range. For the first time in the history of the tracker, take a guess what percentage of the United States of America is in the category of the worst level of drought. Take a guess. You done? Zero. Zero percent. And by the way, that's landmass. That's the entire country plus Alaska. It's an enormous landmass. Zero percent 
of the United States of America for the first time ever is in any really serious major drought, the highest level of drought, which, by the way, almost all of California was in a year ago. That's a pretty strong indication that maybe, just maybe, what we've been told isn't true. Because if we were really going through decades of global warming, I doubt very seriously this would be the first time that we would see 0% major drought. But you can read that column at freespeechbroadcasting.com. The next column I wrote was about Donald Trump lying, in my view, or at least at the very least, not telling the truth about the issue of illegal votes and his election. Now, this is amazing on so many different levels. <laughs> but the first is the actual issue of, okay, were there three to five million votes? And let's be clear here. Trump made this an issue. The news media did not make this an issue. They had let this go a long time ago. He had been talking about illegal votes, and he would have won the popular vote if he had tried, and blah, 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 all sorts of bull crap, just because he's trying to protect his own ego, and that's what this really is. But this week he came out and once again made it not just clear a little bit, privately and publicly, he made a big stink on numerous platforms about his theory that three to five million votes in the past election were cast illegally. You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? Three to five million. Now, of course, his fans, they eat this up. They actually believe it. Why? Because, well, he said it, and he's Donald Trump, and he... I love the poorly educated. Yeah, he loves the poorly educated because they'll buy almost any... His, his cult will buy almost anything he sells. And the stuff they don't buy, they just ignore. Yeah, just pretend it never happened. Let's stick our heads in the sand and move on to the next issue, if it makes us feel uncomfortable. Now, I wrote a column... Again, you can find it at freespeechbroadcasting.com for Mediate, where I actually do something rather radical. I go to the numbers, and I prove this is impossible. Now, it's important to point out, and, and this, this is a difficult thing for a lot of Trump supporters, there's a massive difference between what could have happened, what might have happened, what theoretically could happen in the future and what actually did occur, all right? I fully acknowledge that there are massive holes in our voting system. I am in favor of voter ID laws in general. However, there's a canyon between what might happen and what did happen. Like, for instance, how many people probably not as nearly as many as used to, how many people leave their doors unlocked, right? They leave their doors unlocked because they live in neighborhoods where there's not much crime and they feel safe in doing it. In theory, their house could be broken into very easily. In reality, it almost never happens. That's the way voting is. If people really wanted to vote illegally, 
They could. But guess what? They don't. There's a lot of reasons why they don't. By the way, think about it just rationally. There's no risk-reward for an illegal alien, for instance, to vote, especially in a state as large as California. Your one vote means almost, I mean, literally, it means nothing. It means statistically nothing. All right? So unless you're voting for the city council in a really small city, your vote means nothing. So there's no reward for voting. However, a minuscule risk that someone might go, hey, wait a minute, you're not eligible to vote. Are you even a citizen? Are you even in this country legally? Now, this is all theory, but in the mind of the person who would be considering voting, there's at least a smidgen of risk. So there's no risk-reward ratio. But then again, I acknowledge, in theory, hey, maybe they could have a huge animus towards Donald Trump, and therefore they would do something not really in their own self-interest, and millions of people could come out of the woodwork in states that didn't actually impact the election. They were all in California, and they were all in New York, and they were all in Illinois, in states where Donald Trump lost, and that that somehow was the reason why he lost the popular vote, and not the fact that more people in this country actually wanted Hillary Clinton to be president, which bugs the living crap out of Donald Trump because of his incredible insecurities. So how do we prove this? Well, it's actually remarkably easy. But to my knowledge, I'm the only one that's done it in a way that really does, in my opinion, prove it. You can prove it simply by looking at the vote totals for congressional districts here in California. Now, why does that prove it? Here's why. Most people don't understand how our congressional districts work. Congressional districts are put together based upon the number of people living in each district. People, not citizens, not voters, people. That means Illegal immigrants, non-illegal immigrants. By the way, I think there's an incredibly strong argument that does not get enough play that illegal immigrants add numerous electoral college votes generally to the Democratic candidate because, for instance, here in California, if you only counted citizens, we wouldn't have as many electoral college votes. All right? But that's not the argument here. The argument is, did they vote? So, therefore, each congressional district in each state has almost exactly the same number of people. That's how you can compare congressional district to congressional district, and you're getting apples to apples or oranges to oranges. This is important because it has nothing to do with your citizenship, and each district has the same number of people. All right? So we start from that premise that each district has the same number of people and has nothing to do with whether you're a legal or illegal citizen or not. Normally, in most states, especially a state that has a competitive, say, presidential election, like Florida or Ohio or North Carolina, something like that, most congressional districts, especially if they are competitive, are going to have at least 300,000 votes cast. Maybe up to 400,000 votes cast if you get really high turnout. 
most congressional districts will have someone win with 200,000 votes. Even here in California, about a fourth, I think it was, of people who won congressional districts in this past election, which, by the way, the turnout was low because obviously everyone knew Hillary would win California and because we don't give a shit about anything here in California, period. But about a fourth or maybe a fifth of those congressional districts were won with people who had over 200,000 votes. Interestingly, they almost all of those districts were in San Francisco where they weren't competitive, and the people voting are all ultra-rich, ultra-white, ultra-liberal, like Nancy Pelosi's district. She got 270,000 votes, all right? And won, I think, 85, 90-something percent of the vote. So they weren't voting because they were worried that Nancy Pelosi was going to lose. They were voting simply because they were they're voting. All right? That's what they do. All right. So now we have a benchmark. Most districts, you end up with 300,000 votes. The winner usually gets at least 200,000. Maybe this year in California, those numbers were slightly reduced because of no competitive presidential election. But guess what? There are three districts, and one in particular, in California, which prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that Donald Trump's theory that there were three to five million illegal votes is complete bullshit. And here's what you have to do. Just go to freespeechbroadcasting.com and check out the column. But the three districts all have two things, actually three things in common. Number one, they were competitive, meaning you can't argue that because everyone knew who was going to win the congressional race that no one bothered to vote. So that's number one. Number two, all three of these districts are majority, according to the last census, majority, quote-unquote, Mexican. Now, this is really important because in the census, there are two designations. You can be Hispanic, and then within Hispanic, you can specifically identify as Mexican. I'm not even counting Hispanics, right? I'm just counting Mexicans because if you tell the census worker or if you file, you know, if, if, if the census has you down as a Mexican in California, there is a really good chance you are not in this country legally, right? Really good chance. So all three of these districts were competitive and they have a majority, over 50% of the people in them claim to be Mexican. What's the third thing they have in common? Almost nobody voted in those districts. And I'm not talking a little bit lower than normal. I'm talking about enormously lower. The most incredible example is district number 21. Remember I told you how the average district usually gets 300,000 votes total. The winner gets 200,000. In District 21, there were barely over 120,000 votes cast total. Total. There were almost all, almost, I I think it was two-thirds of the winners in California had more votes on their own than all of the votes cast in District 21 combined. By the way, four people. Four people who lost 
their congressional election in California in 2016, got more votes than were cast in total in District 21. Take a guess what the percentage of self-identified Mexicans is in District 21. You don't have to guess. You don't even have to go to freespeechbroadcasting.com to read the column. I'll tell you. That's why you're listening to the podcast. 71% of the district identifies as Mexican. So, gee, I wonder if it's a coincidence that the district with by far the fewest number of voters in the 2016 election also happens to have the highest percentage of self-identified Mexicans. Hmm. That could, could be a coincidence or there could be a correlation. By the way, also very important to point out, and this is, to me is the, this is the, the coup de grace. This is the ultimate proof that I'm right about this. Guess which party won that congressional district? The Republican Party candidate won that district. Why is that important? Because if there was massive illegal voting on on by illegal immigrants against Donald Trump, District 21 in California, one, would not have ridiculously low turnout. Number two, the Democrat wouldn't have lost by only 18,000 votes. It just wouldn't even need a conspiracy. It would just happen naturally. Because if you do the math, and I know I know math is difficult for Trump fans, and, and, I, and it drives me crazy because, you know, all you got to do is get out your calculator. If there are three to five million, let's, let's just take the number five million, all right? Just to make it easy, math. If there were 5 million illegal votes, and by the way, we're presuming, as Trump said on ABC this week, every single one of them went for Hillary. <laughs> every single one went for Hillary, which is statistically impossible. But okay, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't get 5 million people, even if that's what their intention was, to properly vote for Hillary. I mean, it's not possible. But I digress. So let's take the 5 million votes. If you do the math, Illegal immigration is only a significant problem in, let's say, 100 of the 435 congressional districts. And I think I'm being pretty generous there. I mean, if you, you take most, you know, about half the districts in California, about half the districts in Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, Florida, uh, you know, it's working its way up the, the east, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina are starting to get a an issue, but if you're being generous here, just again, to make the math easy, let's say a hundred congressional districts are impacted significantly by illegal immigration. Do the math. 5 million votes. That's 50,000 votes per congressional district. Going back to district 21. That's not possible. Not possible because they only got 120-some thousand people to vote, and the Republican won by 18,000. The 50,000 would have been a tidal wave against that Republican. There's no evidence where there should be evidence if Trump wasn't lying. But he's obsessed with this. And, and maybe the, 
most amazing element of the whole thing is that apparently, now I'm, here, obviously I do not like Donald Trump. And I despise the news media. The news media is incompetent and they are corrupt and they are capable of blowing almost any story. But it appears as if at least part of Trump's theory that there were three to five million illegal votes, and I'm not making this up, if this was in the onion, the satirical website, which I've been predicting cannot exist in the Trump era because you cannot parody any of this. But apparently part of his theory is based upon a story told, it now appears third or fourth hand to him by senior golf champion Bernhard Langer. Again, not making this up. Bernhard Langer. I I, I saw Bernhard Langer's name tw- uh, uh, trending on Twitter a few days ago when this story broke. And I like Bernhard Langer. And I'm a golf fan. And I realize there's only two possible ways for Bernhard Langer's name to be trending on Twitter. Either Bernhard Langer died in a plane crash or... Donald Trump said something really stupid about Bernhard Langer. Well, sure enough, it was the latter. <laughs> and here's what happened. According to a report in the New York Times, President Trump told a story to House and Senate leaders about what he claims is voter fraud. By the way, there's, there's apparently video of this happening where he's got all the House and Senate leaders right there in front of him, and he's telling us, you know, emphatically telling a story. And it's speculation, but it, you know, there wasn't that much time for this to have occurred. So there's a pretty good chance this is what occurred. So he tells Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. I think uh, Rince Priebus was there. And by the way, who apparently told him when the story was over, hey, let's change the subject because I think he was embarrassed. But apparently he told these leaders that he was told a story by Bernhard Langer. And by the way, multiple people standing there confirmed that Trump indicated it was by Bernhard Langer who told him this story, which is important. And I'll explain why in a second. Supposedly, Langer was standing in line at a polling place in Florida on election day. Langer was told that he couldn't vote, but others who looked like they should not be able to vote we're allowed to cast provisional ballots, Trump said. Now, <laughs> there are so many problems with this. The first is, Lager is a German citizen. And not only would he not have been allowed to vote, he's a smart guy. There's no chance he would have thought he was be, would be allowed to vote. So it makes no sense that Lager was standing in line to vote. Well, it turns out that according to Longer, that's not what happened. In fact, in the Times report, a White House official clarified that the story wasn't actually told to Trump by Longer, but that it was a story told to the golfer by one of Longer's friends. Now, it gets worse. It gets more fucked up than that. If it's possible to be more fucked up than that, it gets more fucked up because Longer released a statement after the 
media blew up about this. And strangely enough, he blames the news media. <laughs> Even though it seems as if the news media nailed this based upon his statement. But he doesn't want to blame Trump, so he blames the news media. Here's Longer's statement. The voting situation reported was not conveyed from me to President Trump, but rather was told to me by a friend. I then relayed the story in conversation with another friend who shared it with a person with ties to the White House. From there, this was misconstrued. Gee, I wonder how that could possibly happen. We're we're at five people on Whisper Down the Lane at this point. I can't imagine how a story could get misconstrued that way. He He finishes, I am not a citizen of the United States and cannot vote. No shit. It's a privilege to live in the United States. Apparently he's afraid of being deported now. And... And I am blessed to call America my home. I will have no further comment at this time. By the way, the Times originally could not get a hold of Bernhard Longer, and they spoke to his daughter, who said, Longer and Trump aren't even friends. And he doesn't, he doesn't, she doesn't understand why Trump is even talking about him. So let's review. The President of the United States of America has come to the conclusion that three to five million people voted illegally in the last election. By the way, uh, strangely enough, he's apparently, whether he realizes it or not, trying to discredit his own victory. <laughs> so he's now called for a major investigation into his own victory. But, okay, if this happened, this would be a massive scandal on a scale of which we've never seen before. Three to five million votes. But he, he's come to this conclusion based upon, if Barnhart Longer is to be believed, and there's no reason not to believe him, based upon a fourth or fifth-hand story that, he, that the president didn't even speak to Bernhard Longer about, a story which, by the way, proves nothing at all, even if true, and happens to be also racist. People who looked like they should not be able to vote. And by the way, even in the story, those people weren't allowed to vote. They were given provisional ballots. Not that I believe the story at all. And then not only does Trump somehow believe this, he goes and... By his own admission, he admitted this to David Muir of ABC News. By his own admission, he tells congressional leaders this story. It gets to that level where, I mean, folks, the time that the President of the United States has with the Speaker of the House and the Minority Leader and the Senate Majority Leader, Senate Minority Leader, and all those people, it it is incredibly valuable. It is minuscule. We're talking about minutes. And by his own acknowledgement, he spent time talking about a story that is complete and total bullshit and utterly irrelevant at best, racist at worst, conspiracy-minded for sure, about Bernhard Longer, who he never even spoke to. He never even spoke to. Now, 
if this is the way he comes to decisions, see, this is why it's important. This is kind of like, this is a weird analogy. But, you know, I hate being pulled over for speeding tickets. Everybody does. But the only logic to speeding tickets is that if you get caught once going 75 and a 55, there's a very, very good chance it's not the first time you've done this. And you've probably done it a lot. And, you know, there's the the notion that, okay, we got you this time. Well, through a bizarre set of circumstances, we found out about this process of coming to a conclusion. And if this is how absurd, insane, fucked up his decision-making process is on something of this level of importance, whether or not three to five million people voted illegally in an election he won, then my God, what is his thinking process, his decision-making process, how is that on a normal day? On, on situations we're never going to find out about. It is flat-out scary. It is, it is terrifying. And um, I, I, I'm speechless. I mean, there, there's, it's really very difficult to comprehend what is going on here. And, and this is, I think, the main, the core reason why me and many others are so against Donald Trump, even though we fully acknowledge that there are going to be some good things happening. Hopefully, by the way, one of them will be the Supreme Court nomination, which is coming this week. I have some thoughts on and some concerns about. There'll be some good things. But, folks, this has to end badly. There, there is no way you get through, forget about eight years, there is no way in a world of these kind of challenges you get through four years with a president who makes decisions based upon fragments of fragments of hearsay conspiracy crap. But that's where we are. And, of course, the core issue for Trump is his ego, his own insecurities, the fact that somehow his election is delegitimized because of the fact that he lost the popular vote, which he did by about 3 million votes. Interesting that he comes up with the 3 to 5 million number. Just magically, just magically, it's 3 to 5 million. (laughs) He loses the popular vote by 3 million. And just by magic, 3 to 5 million illegal votes, which, by the way, I didn't get any of. Not one of them. That's what he told David Muir of ABC News. But it's all about that. And and it's also, he, he clearly has massive ego problems and a lot of them are related to popularity and size and in a normal week the the most batshit crazy story involving Donald Trump would have been the one I'm about to tell you involving the latest on the inaugural crowd size issue I mean nothing's going to beat the Bernhard Longery at least not in the near future but how about this one folks again remember this is the president of the United States So last week we talked a lot about how he was obsessed with the size of the crowd at the inauguration. And he was very upset and angered that people were saying that his size was smaller than Obama's size, which, you know, there's all sorts of Freudian issues involved uh, with that uh, that I'm not going to get into right now, but they're obvious. 
And it's, it's clearly about ego and insecurity. It's also delusion because it's absolutely clear that Obama's crowd was much larger than Trump's crowd. And by the way, that's perfectly understandable. That's what's so nuts about this. It's not like this really, in a rational world, would reflect badly on Donald Trump. I, I mean, if the inauguration was held in the middle of Alabama, in the middle of Trump country, <laughs> and he got a much smaller crowd than Obama did when he held his inauguration in Alabama, okay, then maybe, you know, you could draw some conclusions about that. But this was this is Obama country. This is Washington, D.C. This is uh, 90-some percent black population within the city, 80-some percent Democratic population within the general confines of Washington, D.C. Donald Trump got less than 5% of the vote in Washington, D.C. I mean, there are all sorts of very good explanations. But Trump, he didn't just limit his actions to public statements in front of the CIA and in interviews about this and having Sean Spicer go out there and flat out lie that this was the largest inaugural crowd of all time in one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen from a White House press secretary. No, 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 no. We're learning more about how this whole thing evolved. The day after he was inaugurated, think about this, folks. The day after he was inaugurated, Donald Trump called the acting director of the National Park Service, a guy by the name of Michael Reynolds. He called to complain to him and to express anger over the fact that the National Park Service's official Twitter account retweeted a message that had two photographs. I believe this was from the New York Times. A photograph of Obama's crowd in comparison to Trump's crowd. The President of the United States. And think about Reynolds, by the way. The, the, the article that first reported this, in the, I believe, in the New York Times, describes it as Reynolds is, is summoned that, hey, there's something wrong. We need to, you know, you need to get on the phone. And here he is. He's the director of the National Park Service. I mean, it's a big job, but he's nowhere near the top of the hierarchy, especially for an incoming president. You know, he's not like secretary of state or something like that. And he has no idea what's going on. All of a sudden, he's told, please hold for the president. He's got to be thinking, what the fuck is going on here? This is someone punking me. He had to be thinking, someone is punking me. That the president is on the line, or someone sounding like the president. Maybe it was John Miller or John Barron, the guy who used to call on behalf of Trump in a you know, assumed names to gossip columns in, in New York City to, to brag about how much uh, how much women wanted to have sex with Donald Trump, which was actually Donald Trump. But I digress. So he gets the phone call, and um, the president expresses anger over a retweet. By the way, the Twitter account was then, I guess, voluntarily suspended for a while. Uh, and it, it's worse than that. Apparently, Trump demanded that Reynolds 
find photographic proof that his crowd was larger than Obama's. Now, what the fuck are you supposed to do with that? The President of the United States, on his first day, his first day, is taking time to call you, and he's telling you to find evidence of something that it's not possible for there to be evidence of because it clearly did not happen, except in Trump's diseased mind. All I know is what's on the Internet. And that's... It doesn't get any scarier than this. Now, does this impact anything directly? Mm, Actually, it does. It does. And here's what happens. That story sends a chilling effect throughout the entire bureaucracy of the federal government, with regard to speech as well as all sorts of other things. With regard to this, now they got to look over their shoulder and think, holy shit. Is the president of the United States going to call me if, if something, if we, if we post a picture and his hand looks small, is he going to get pissed off and fire somebody? I mean, by the way, that's how it works in a monarchy. That's how it works when you've got a, a king or a dictator. That's not how it's supposed to work in the United States of America. But that's where we are. But again, even as significant as that is, I think the most significant part of this is What's going through Trump's mind, how he comes to making decisions, and how he uses his time. Now, I realize he he has more time than most people because he doesn't sleep. But even if you account for the fact that his days are 20 hours instead of, you know, whatever most people's days are because he doesn't sleep, the reality is this is not what you should be using your time on. On your first day, in your first week. But that's where we are on this. Now, this directly re- led to the interview that he did with ABC's David Muir. I wrote a column about that for, spe- for freespeechbroadcasting.com. And uh, I-, I urge you to check that out because my view on that interview was that Trump kicked David Muir's ass. Now, people who already understand Trump to be insane and have no regard for the truth and and to be a conspiracy nut, that interview is only going to further substantiate that view. But that's not his audience. Trump, to his audience, came off tremendously. He dominated the interview. David Muir didn't know what hit him. They had to scrape him off the floor at the White House, after he got steamrolled. And part of why he got steamrolled, and I explained this in the column at freespeechbroadcasting.com, is with Trump, see, he has two massive advantages. And he knows this, and he is a tremendous media manipulator, so he knows how to take advantage of his advantages. But the two greatest advantages he has is, number one, he has no concern about lying. So if, if, you, if you have no concern about lying, if you can make up your own facts, if, if your view of reality is unhinged to the truth, boy, that gives you a lot of freedom. I mean, you can get out of almost anything if you're just going to make shit up. If, you, if, you know, if you're going to believe anything you want to believe. All I know is what's on the Internet. Then it's really easy 
to get out of a tough question. Secondly, Trump understands how incredibly short, boy, does he understand how incredibly short the media's attention span is because his attention span himself is like 15 seconds long. So he understands all you got to do to survive in most of these situations, if if you get in trouble, is just change the subject, not answer the question, lie your ass off, talk for 30 seconds, and they're going to move on. Why? Because two reasons. They, they are, they know that the audience has a short attention span, so therefore, spending more than a minute on any subject is, oh, boring, ratings killer. My God, you've been talking about this for a whole goddamn minute. I mean, that that's that, that's a, that's as, as insane as it is. That's where we are in the media today. Two minutes, forget about it. Oh my God, I can't believe we talked about whether you you're compromised by Russia for two minutes. By the way, that didn't even come up. That that's about didn't even come up in the interview. So when you're president, you inherently, you set the parameters for the interview. You set how much time there is. And so if you're David Muir, it was obvious Muir was trying to accomplish way too much in a very short amount of time. I mean, my God, he kept going from subject to subject, and there's so many damn different things to talk about with Trump, which is another weird way that Trump has the advantage. See, if you're a scandal-free president, (laughs) there might only be one or two things of interest to talk about, which means there's more time to nail you to the wall. But with Trump, there's like 30 things. I mean, the Russia deal doesn't even get on the list of questions. Neither did his taxes. Neither did his financial conflicts of interest. I mean, those are three huge stories. Don't even get asked because there's so many other things to talk about. So when you when the reporter, the anchor, the interviewer has an limited amount of time, they have to do triage. They got to decide, okay, I, I want I need to get through all this because I got an hour special on the network and the bosses, you know, they, they don't want one topic. This is going to look make me look bad. I need to hit on as many things as possible. And so that means there's no really good follow-up questions. And then, of course, I also have to do the whole walking tour of the White House and the whole bull crap about, oh, what a great letter Obama wrote me and all, all of the fluff stuff. So there's really, out of an hour-long special on primetime, In his first White House interview, there's probably only about 15 to 20 minutes of real hardcore interview. And having done many of them, there's no way, there is no way to nail down someone as slippery as Donald Trump in 15 to 20 minutes. Especially when you're David Muir, and and frankly, I thought he was, I saw fear in his eyes. I think Muir was afraid of Trump. (laughs) And what people in the media don't understand of, of many things about Donald Trump is that he doesn't give a shit about well, a lot of things, but he specifically doesn't give a shit about the people who the mainstream news media still has influence over. And this is really an important revelation that I've only come to in the last two weeks since Trump officially took office. His inaugural address, the interview with David Muir, and a couple other things, and I spoke about this with, with the Democratic Congressman John Yarmouth in our interview in hour number two in last week's podcast. But I went into greater detail in another column that I wrote about Trump's war on the news media. Column for Mediate, again, you can find it at freespeechbroadcasting.com. And that was inspired by 
a statement that MSNBC's Joe Scarborough made in response to all these negative comments that Trump has made about the news media, that they're the opposition party, and Steve Bannon, his, his closest advisor, said the media should shut up and listen. And you know it's obvious that Trump is on the warpath against the media. And, and from a personal standpoint, as someone who has spent most of their adult life combating media bias, media malpractice, made a movie called Media Malpractice, how Obama got elected, it is really depressing to me that I cannot enjoy the ass-kicking that Trump is giving to the news media because they so richly deserve it. But Trump is the absolute worst person in a truth-based world to give it to them. I have made the analogy, and I think it's a good one, many times, that Trump getting to be the guy to benefit from decades of real media bias and incompetence is a lot like O.J. Simpson being the one black guy to benefit from police racism. I mean, that's basically the same deal. So all the guys who may have actually been treated badly by, for instance, the LAPD, and the one guy who gets a pass (laughs) is O.J. Simpson, who killed two people brutally and had his butt kissed by the LAPD his whole adult life. That's fantastic. Well, it's the same way with Trump. Trump is the guy who benefits from from the perception of media bias. His own fans don't believe anything that the media says. They're like a cult and, you know, like Scientology. You know, oh, the, the media's out to get us. And and here's a guy whose entire life and career and political campaign was made by the news media. All of it. Which, by the way, I, I firmly believe that Trump understands how corrupt and stupid the news media is because he realizes, holy cow, they got fooled by a con man like me. I, I believe that 110%. That the reason he's so positive that the news media is corrupt and stupid is because they fell for his con. By the way, the inverse of that is why he seriously considered Mitt Romney for Secretary of State. I think he respected Romney because Romney didn't fall for the con. So Trump is working from his own experiences. Hey, if you fell for me, then you must really be dumb. And he's right. The news media is dumb. And it is corrupt, but that doesn't mean they're always lying. And they're certainly not always lying. They might be exaggerating, but they're not always lying about Donald Trump. But back to this issue of his war on the news media and why it's actually smart politically. And of all the things I've written about Trump, I I urge you to check this one out because I I think that this revelation really explains a lot. The news media hasn't fully understood this, but whether it's by accident or whether it's on purpose, Trump is, is taking a completely different view of what the goal of his presidency is on a day-to-day basis. And what I mean by that is this in the modern history of the presidency, presidents, have always had the goal of, okay, we've got our base of support, 
but we've got to make sure that somewhere north of 50% quote-unquote approve of us or at least don't disapprove of us because this way, one, we can get reelected. Two, nobody in our own party is going to be afraid of us, you know, afraid of backing us. And if we get it, you know, close to 60%, some members of the other party might say, hey, you know, I'll come along for something I can deal with. So it gives you the ability to play to the other side if you're in the 55 to 60% approval rating. That's always been the way that it was done. Now, I think this is by accident. I don't think it's by genius. It's possible Steve Bannon has figured this out and is doing it on purpose. But Trump, I think, just loves the adulation of the cult. And, And that's why he's doing it. It's just dumb luck. But because things have changed, and I think Obama's presidency proves this, you know, Obama's second term was a complete disaster from a liberal perspective. He got nothing done even though he won a healthy re-election and had very strong approval ratings throughout almost his entire second term. It meant nothing. It did him no good because the world has changed. As I talk about in hour number two about the Super Bowl, where broadcasting is dead, everything is narrowcasting now. It's the same way in politics as it is in news media. Fox News Channel is an amazing success because they can appeal to a very small sliver of the overall television universe, otherwise known as the Trump cult now. Well, the reality is Trump has either understood or is just acting as if he understood the fact that if you have a very, very, very passionate core, which Trump clearly does, Somewhere in the range of 20 to 30 percent of the population, which is where I would target Trump's numbers based upon his vote totals in the primaries and in the general election. If you have that and then you can add to it, which Trump has done, a small sliver of what used to be conservatives. Which is probably about 15 percent of the general population. And it's also, by the way why Trump is pretending to be pro-life so much. He's not pro-life. He's as pro-choice as you could possibly get. But he's pretending like hell to be pro-life. Why? Because he knows, or at least people around him know, if we stay around 40% approval with, you know, at least half or more than half of that 40% being gung-ho cult members, we're going to be just fine. We don't need anywhere near 55 or 60%. Why? Well, because we have, and I say we, we have an alliance, Trump does, an alliance with the Republican Party. He's not a Republican. He's a populist. But he has an alliance with the Republican Party, which currently controls the Senate and the House. So Trump understands, and by the way, the GOP understands this as well, I've got... 25% or thereabouts of your base that will die for me. That means I have you by the balls. That means you can't buck me. You have to do whatever I say or else I'm going to sick my Twitter feed on any one of you congressmen or senators who defies me. And what does that mean? Well, that means your life is hell. 
for a couple of days. It might mean that you get primaried if you're up for election. And by the way, if you're up for general election, the the the, the really unique aspect of Trump's power is that it it also works in a general election because Trump's people are so batshit crazy, they'll vote for the Democrat in the general election if Trump tells them to do so. Normally, a Republican president wouldn't have that power, but that's the real power Trump has because he can throw an election to the Democrat on a dime in almost any district. Now, some districts are out of his reach. But, and in certain, there'll be a couple people who will, you know, John McCain doesn't give a shit because he just got reelected and he's he's old as dirt. Uh, you know, Lindsey Graham is his best buddy, so Lindsey Graham probably won't care that much. But almost everybody else is going to be afraid of defying Trump. So he's basically a suicide bomber because they care more about their majority than he does. He doesn't give a crap about their majority. He, you know, he might be gone in four years. So all he cares about is what he wants. And to get what he wants, all he has to do is maintain the viability of his suicide bombing equipment. And his suicide bombing equipment is that 25% of the public or thereabouts which represent his cult. And that's what they are. And that's why the battle against the media, works perfectly for Trump. One, the cult hates the media, right? So they love it when he punches them in the mouth. They love it. It's great theater. It's great sport. Fuck you, media. Doesn't matter that Trump's lying and that the media happens to be telling the truth. The media's lied in the past, so fuck you. That, that's really what's happening. So they, they love the, the theater aspect of it, you know, Kind of like, um, you know, Gladiator. Remember, the, the, Trump definitely goes to the. Are you not entertained? You know, that, that's basically what Trump is with the media. Are you not entertained? He goes into the arena like Russell Crowe. He chops off some heads. <laughs> Are you not entertained? Right. So, so the the cult loves that. But there's another deeper meaning to this, and that is that uh, the cult much like Scientology, needs to be protected from unapproved information, unapproved news. So like in Scientology, you're not allowed any contact with the outside world. And if you're in certain aspects of the, of the cult, it's similar to the Trump forces. No, 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 no. And he made it clear this week, watch Fox News. Do not watch anything else. Just watch Fox News. It, it would be dangerous to get your information from anything else other than the proved news sources, state-run news sources like Fox News Channel, Drudge Report, Breitbart.com, Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, even Mark Levin, all the people that used to call themselves conservatives. No, now, now they are officially approved state-run media. That's where you get your information from. And those outlets will create a safe cocoon, a cocoon of safety for the Trumpsters so that they will be insulated from any negative information about their, their King God. And, and therefore the cult will always be protected. So the bottom line of this is, and the news media doesn't understand this. 
The news media thinks they still have influence over the public. They don't. The only influence they have in the mainstream is over the people who are in the middle. The people that aren't paying that much attention occasionally catch a news program. Those people are too apathetic now to matter. Trump doesn't give a shit about them. They're not part of the cult. All he needs is protect the cult and protect the what's left of the hardcore conservative base, which is why, again, he's pretending to be pro-life and why the Supreme Court nomination is so important. So in order to protect the cult, you the battle with the news media is brilliant politics. And what the news media doesn't understand about the cult is three things. They're not hearing what you're saying about Trump, number one, unless it's by accident. All right? They're not. They're not tuning in. They're not. It's not on their radar. They are on the state-run news outlets, otherwise known as formerly conservative. Number two, if by chance they do hear what you say about Trump, they don't believe it. They don't. They think it's fake news. Like the Bernhard Longer story. I guarantee you, the Trumpsters think is fake news. The the Park Service story, I'm sure they think is fake news. Or by the way, even better than fake news, I forgot to mention. Here was the Trump spin on the Park Ranger story. This was Deputy Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders, daughter of Mike Huckabee. She actually said that Trump calling the head of the, the director of the National Park Service was proof that he is so engaged, so involved when he sees a problem, he takes action to fix it. If he sees an issue, he's going to take action and do something to fix it. What? But Trumpsters will believe that. No, no, no. That wasn't action to fix something. That was taking time on the day after his inauguration to correct something that slighted his ego. It had nothing to do with the country. But the point is, Trumpsters are amazing at rationalization. So all you got to do is provide a hook for them to put their hat on, and that's what they'll happily do. So... If by chance they hear what you're saying, they're not going to believe it. And by the way, even if by chance they hear it and somehow the news media has evidence that even an O.J. Simpson juror would buy, which, you know, like video, like the Access Hollywood tape, even if you've got that level of evidence, which is what you need to influence the cult, they don't care. They don't care. You know why they don't care? Because the alternative in their mind was Hillary Clinton, who was a lying, criminal murderer, who by this point would have stolen all of our money and stolen all of our guns, and therefore, we don't care about any negative information about Donald Trump, period. So the cult is protected. So that 25% is going nowhere. As long as Trump maintains his big hairy balls, and it's clear that he's going to based upon all these executive orders, which I think are mostly show, by the way. I, I, I think they're mostly to masturbate the base. I don't think they're going to actually do all that much. Like, for instance, the wall is not going to get built based upon executive order. But he was able to tell his base, hey, we're building the wall, even though it's all bull crap. Uh, so that's all that matters. It was, it was base masturbation this week uh, with regard to the executive orders. But... Uh, but, but the reality is that if as long as he keeps that base and as long as he can maintain 
the real hardcore conservatives. He's in the 40% range. Nothing will ever happen to him. He can have any scandal, and Republicans are never going to impeach him. He would have to get down into like the 20s approval-wise before Republicans would ever even think about doing something like that. Now, his reelection is a totally different story, and it's too early to even talk about that, and it depends on who the Democrats put up uh, you know, as his opponent, because uh, I actually think there's a really good chance he wins reelection, even with this strategy. But the world has changed, and I, I urge you to check out that column at freespeechbroadcasting.com because I do think there's some insight that no one else is bringing to the table. Now, as far as that other 15%, and I've re- referenced it numerous times, the Supreme Court nomination, which is really key, is supposed to come this Thursday. And I have been very skeptical. My theory on this has been that Trump was going to nominate a real hardcore conservative at first, maybe like a Justice Pryor out of Alabama, and that that was going to cause an epic battle with the Democrats in the Senate. There would be a filibuster that Trump would eventually cave say that he was doing this for the best of the country, we need nine justices, provide someone that's somewhat uh, acceptable to Chuck Schumer, not on the list of 21 conservatives, declare victory, and that his base would buy that long enough so where they didn't care, and then we would just move on. That was my thought as to what was going to happen. I now think that that analysis, while sound logically, was not accurate. Because Trump said something this week that was very, very interesting and very troubling to someone like myself who felt like the only real rationalization for a Trump presidency was making sure that a Republican got to pick the replacement for Antonin Scalia on the Supreme Court. Trump said this week he's basically chosen who that nominee is going to be that he'll announce this week, but that he's deciding to choose someone based upon who will get approved. Who will get approved? Wait a minute. Hold on. This was the whole reason why conservatives held their nose and voted for you. And you're going to end up giving us, at best, Scalia light? And let's be clear. In the past, we have not done well with Scalia lights. Scalia lights, once they get on the court, they turn into Justice Kennedy or worse. And they're no longer conservative. No one gets more conservative once they get on the Supreme Court. Okay? You're as conservative as you're ever going to be the day you get nominated. And then you go through the process and you got to say all sorts of things to get to get approved. And just the culture of the place changes you. And what really scares me is that they, the speculation is that it's going to be a, a judge out of Pennsylvania, who has ties to Trump's sister. Now, this is very Trumpy, of course, but Trump's sister is a full-on liberal. By the way, so is his daughter, so is his son-in-law. You know, but I'm sure these are all, this is all coincidence. I'm sure, even though he's been a liberal all his life and all of his family members are liberal, I'm sure this is just, just a coincidence. But, look, and I'm going to keep an open mind, but if if we're going down the path of, hey, let's take somebody that isn't going to really piss off liberals enough for them to, to go full out and stop this nomination, then what the fuck did we just go through this all for? I mean, we're, we got to at least give it a shot for there to be a full-on conservative justice. 
to me, my greatest fear has always been Trump caves. That's what he does. He negotiates in caves. He doesn't like a fight. And two, with a Supreme Court justice, you can't even object to it for a couple of years because you're never for sure you know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates. You don't know for sure what you're going to get until you have several years of court cases to judge it by. And Trump will declare victory, and his base will cheer him, and there will be no impact on him politically, probably until it's too late to have any influence. So I think my gut tells me we're going to get screwed right off the bat. Not full screwed. I think we're going to get half screwed. I think he's going to do a half cave. Instead of a full cave later on, I think he's just going to, you know, not waste time. I think he's going to do a half cave right up front, and we're not going to end up with Scalia Jr. That's my prediction on that. All right, uh, so make sure you go to freespeechbroadcasting.com. Check out all the columns I wrote this week, and also make sure you listen to hour number two, because in hour number two, we're joined by General Michael Hayden, former director of the CIA, who says some very, very interesting and frankly troubling things about what the Trump presidency means for all of us, including how we are less safe today than we were on Friday. So uh, that'll do it for hour number one. I ask only two things of you. If you like the podcast, share it. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Facebook. Tell your friends about it because it's basically the only way people are going to ever know about it or hear about it. Feel free to send me an email at talktozig at AOL.com if you've got a suggestion for the program. I'm all ears. I'm very accessible. And the second thing I ask is if you're one of those people who actually sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, do yourself a favor and listen to this important message. I'm John Ziegler. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. (laughs) Performance bedding? (laughs) Yeah, they're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh, no wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. (laughs) Well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mmm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.